The Recovery Room is a podcast for the readers and listeners of Get the Girls Out, a memoir of love, loss and letting loose. You know that feeling when you've just finished reading a book and you loved it so much and you almost grieve the ending and you feel like you need a debrief? Well, The Recovery Room is the perfect podcast for you. My next guest is Bernard Salt. He's a demographer, speaker and writer. For several decades, Bernard has studied population and economic shifts as indicators for the future and then helped explain them to the rest of us. He has his own language and authority from Her Majesty the Queen to make up new words as required. I made that last bit up. Whenever I see Smash Dab I Want a Menu, I think of Bernard because he was the original commentator who linked the ridiculous cost of Smash Dab owned cafes to the impossibility of Gen Xs ever buying their own home. True story. He's a baby boomer, but that's okay. Welcome to the recovery room, Bernard. And welcome to the recovery room, Bernard. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. At the time of recording our interview, we're in about week eight of isolation measures in Australia. And I reckon most Aussies want to know what the future holds. And I always think of you as a futurist. So would you mind taking a look in your demographic crystal ball and telling us all what is going to happen in the future? How is 2020 and beyond going to pan out? Well, I'm, I'm an optimist, uh, Lucy, as you know, that I always look on the bright side. And I, I do think that, um, that uh, Australia is a good place to be. I've, I've long felt that. And even going into the, uh, to the lockdown, I was confident that we would come through it. And, and we have. We've mm. come through this uh, exceptionally well. And I think that that gives us uh, a stronger Australia we have put our faith in our fellow uh, Australians and in the leadership, rightly or wrongly, at every level. And um, they have, uh, we have steered through this. Now, that doesn't mean that the immediate future is easy, but I do think that the worst of it is behind us. And now we can focus on rebuilding and hopefully rebuilding a better Australia, a stronger Australia going forward. That's my, that's my hope, my sunny hope for the future. Yeah, I'm an optimist too, uh, but I can't see how we can actually start opening things up and relaxing these isolation measures because there really is no solution in place other than wash your hands. So I think the, the relaxation of measures is basically because people are starting to go nuts rather than it's actually safe to go, that it's, it's actually safe to, to be with other people. Am I right or am I being paranoid? No, no, I think you're right. Until a vaccine is discovered uh, and then distributed to everyone, um, there, is a, uh, there is a risk here. But I do think that we have managed it and managed the risk a whole lot better uh, than say back in February when things were scaling up in early March. Uh, so I think that, uh, I, I don't think that there, there is the requirement for the degree of the lockdown that we've had at the moment. And I think that's the, the restlessness I think you're referring to. And I think, you know, for a, for a month or five weeks or so, I think Australians went along with it. 
Yeah. Uh, and but beyond that, think nah, no, nah, I can't take it anymore. Uh, I need to. Uh, we need to move out and balance the risk and take precautions and so forth. I mean, our hospitals don't seem to be overwhelmed as they have been in other nations. So we do have the capacity, I think, to uh, to take on a bit more risk and to take on a bit more uh, recovery. Not full on, but just, you know, baby steps initially. Yeah, I see. Do you find that because you're a demographer and you, um, and you look at the overarching outcomes of human behaviour and that kind of stuff, that you are asked for opinion on just about everything? <laughs> well, look, it's, it's um, quite remarkable that something like this comes along. And uh, uh, yes, there's been an extraordinary uh, level of interest in my prognostications. Um, <laughs> no, I like to take this big, uh, long-term view. And it kind of gives people a sense of security knowing that, well, here is what here is how Australians managed, say, in the 1920s, after the calamity of the First World War. Yeah. That was a period of great entrepreneurship. Businesses like, um, like CSL and also Woolworths and Qantas came out of that period, and there were crazy dances and new fashion. The 1920s, after the calamity of the First World War, was a period of great aspiration and prosperity and optimism. Mm. And I think that the same thing will apply, that after the calamity of coronavirus, that we will be looking for hope and opportunity and optimism and creativity. Hopefully, that's, that's where I think we're going to go in the short to medium term. Yeah, I agree. And I think people are going to travel more than ever because as soon as you hold people in one place and tell them they can't move, that's exactly what they want to do. Uh, and, I, you know, I have so many friends planning fabulous adventures who never would have travelled, say, with children and that sort of stuff, that this well, has kind of inspired them to, to travel more than ever before. I, I do think that that is the case. And, and especially with the young millennial uh, generation, they now is the time. You've got to grab the moments when you can. Take appropriate precautions, uh, of course, but uh, get out there and experience. You've got to live life to the fullest because we don't know what's just around the corner. And this is a great, great uh, evidence of that. Life is for living. Let's get out there and live it. And the other thing that I think really connects with that next generation is this idea of, yes, we do need to rebuild Australia, but you know what? We're going to rebuild a better version, mm. more connected, more efficient, more productive, more creative and more caring. Can we create a better Australia? And every, every person, every Australian, very patriotic, saying, yes, yes, we can do that. Let's do that. Let's create a better version of our country. Yeah, that, that really excites me, that idea too of being more flexible. So having workforces, I mean, I've, I've managed workforces in the past that have been all over the world and that is considered really unusual. But now to have workforces working in office at home and to be able to make that flexible, oh, that just makes fam families, um, hearts kind of um, ease because working full time with kids and all that chaos is so hard on families. Very much so. I do think that this uh, whole notion of working from home, Australians never really bought into the work from home movement. If you look at the figures from the census, you know, there was a couple doing it, but not, not huge numbers. 
I do think that, that this is a break point and a far greater proportion of Australians will work from home in the future. What it has shown is that you can be productive, creative. You do need to learn new skills like Zoom and Skype. Yeah. And you probably need a bit more technology in your home office. But once you've mastered that, then you can be very, very productive. That's got to have a positive impact on the number of people commuting. Yeah, you've got to have a positive impact, I think, on family relationships generally. Um, not for everyone, of course, but generally, if, if, if you've got um, one, one partner at home, hopefully they can actually manage kids coming and going and so forth. So I think it could actually lead to a, a better arrangement going forward. Yeah, better Australia, but more flexible. Flexible is the word. Also, I heard you say that a more kinder Australia. How do you think that has well, come out of this time? Well, yes, um, a, a kinder, more caring Australia. I think that it has genuinely fostered a sense of community. A neighbor, th this idea of neighbours looking after neighbours. I don't know whether you've seen that sort of thing, certainly yeah. in social media. Yeah. Um, people looking out for each other. Uh, initially, there was the the flouting of the of the restrictions and uh, the hoarders, and I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. Uh, but then, but then we then we you know acquiesced, we knuckled down, and uh, we got on with it, and we started to look out for each other and and actually create a kinder culture. Uh, I've actually talked elsewhere about I think that the 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 role of celebrities and influencers is receding and the role of essential workers and volunteers is rising. And that's that sort of re-evaluation of our values. That's, that's the shift. We're kinder, more caring, more concerned, concerned about true value, authenticity, real values. Mm. For me, that's a better Australia already. Oh, and we'll be so much smarter if we take our advice from those frontline workers rather than from influencers. You know, that's yes, how the anti-vax yeah. movement got going because somebody listened to someone who wasn't actually a doctor. Well, this whole issue of um, celebrities and influencers pontificating about this and that, very early on in the lockdown, there were a number of famous social media I don't know what you call clips or memes or whatever uh, out there, but they were very quickly shut down because people were not interested in hearing about the trials and how tough it was to do it <laughs> in your mansion yeah. <laughs> when the essential workers and sh supermarket shelf fillers were actually doing all the heavy lifting. It just put everything in proportion. Yeah, that's wouldn't right. It would be great if we'd actually take the best bits the best learnings from this experience and carry it forward yeah. is my hope. Mm, mine too. You and I both make a living on the speaker circuit and mm. events and travel um, were hit really hard. I remember thinking it, it had been hit the hardest, but then I saw, it could have been some stats published by you, I can't remember. I saw some stats that actually sport was top of the list. Uh, as an industry to be hit by COVID-19. But certainly travel and events comes, um, comes closely behind those. Do you think events will change forever? Do you think we're going to be Zoom presenters rather than <laughs> main stage keynote speakers? You know, I gave a speech yesterday from my lounge room in bare feet. Um, you know, is, is, is that the way forward or just for now? Or do you think we're going to take bits of that and, and, and move forward with some online presenting? What do you think is going to happen to our industry as speakers? 
Well, I think that uh, the requirement to present on stage and and impact an audience, and uh, I've seen you do that, Lucy, and uh, uh, it's it's a it's a skill that that will still be required going forward. But I do think that there is a new platform, and that is the ability to deliver uh, a presentation uh, engagingly and impactfully through Zoom or some other webinar type facility mm. because it's, it's almost like that will be just another platform uh, in the same way that you can buy something from a shop by walking into it or you can buy it online online and you can click and collect well yeah. you can go to an event in a hotel and get the whole you know keynote experience uh, or you can actually just log on from wherever you are in the world and uh, get the essence of the uh, of the speaker's um, expertise. So I think there is scope for both. Um, it means that uh, you and I have had to learn new skills, uh, but you know that's part of life, isn't it? You, you you can't stagnate. You need to be continually evolving, learning, yeah. and growing as a professional. I found it quite hard because I really feed off the audience. I hadn't <laughs> realised just how much I my performance relies on audience feedback so in an online yeah. presentation perspective it's like being in a studio as opposed to you know a live show and exactly even even in a studio rank it on so much harder <laughs> yeah, even in a studio there's people around you know behind cameras or, or whatever yeah that's uh, right if you're you're presenting into a laptop in a in a lounge room um, <laughs> There's no one there. It's me and my goldfish. That's it. And the goldfish. <laughs> that's it. But, you know, that's part of the, you just have to learn how to do that. And I find in that situation, you just need to put more effort, more energy yeah. uh, into it. Yeah, a lot more. And, and I found I needed to sort of hype myself up. <laughs> whereas beforehand, whereas in a live, in a live uh, performance or a, a live speech, it's the audience that hypes me up while I'm up there. So, yeah, it's different, isn't it? What about exactly. the travel industry? Your wiki page, I noticed, said you were the chair of the Tourism Forecast Committee a number of years ago. Uh, yes, that's right. I, um, you changed forever? Uh, well, yes. I, 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 was, uh, I was in Cairns around the third week in February, and the Cairns community is very concerned, far north Queensland, and rightly so, about uh, the, the, the downturn in tourism from China at that stage, and it's it's only got worse since then. Um, and uh, what I do think is that um, until international travel opens up and as we go into winter, I think there will be a surge in demand for domestic travel. So all of the, you know, mm. the Melbourne eastern suburbs and the Sydney eastern suburbs that used to go to Europe or wherever for their holidays in winter uh, we'll now be looking at Port Douglas and Noosa yeah. and other places like that. So, you know, I think there's that that is a positive, assuming that domestic travel opens up uh, in the next month or so. Yeah. Do you think we'll be back on cruise ships faster than you can say, hand sanitizer? <laughs> well, in fact, um, <laughs> I yes, in fact, I, I ran a couple of uh, cruise um, lecture tours uh, the last couple of years. Of course, this, this one has been called off and they're great fun. Um, and when all this happened, I thought, oh, well, there goes that, that, um, that idea for a while. But then I read that uh, some people are already making bookings for 2021. There is a, there is a core of hardcore cruising-type people 
that I think um, just love the product, love the experience, and uh, will may not get back to the heady heights of where it was immediately, but uh, there is a core market there for cruising. And I think um, hopefully that they'll learn from you know, whatever they need to do to make it, uh, to make it safe um, yeah. going forward and to convince uh, the market that it's safe as well. My mum's 80 and her partner is desperately afraid of flying. And so they discovered cruising and they intend to basically cruise the whole way around the world. It never occurred to me that that's a good way to get around the world if you don't like flying. Well, your mother should come on my cruise next year. Talk your legs off, Bernard. She would talk (laughs) your legs off. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Yeah, wow. So speaking of hand sanitizer, a couple of weeks ago I read... An article about a company that was importing um, costumes, um, fancy dress costumes. And I, I know the company. I've bought bits and pieces from them before. And, you know, that whole party scene is over, dead for now. Yep. And they very quickly and very early on moved their business so that instead of importing fancy dress costumes from China, they very quickly started importing hand sanitizer and antibacterial wipes. But they were also very quickly criticised for cashing in on the pandemic. We're a fickle bunch. Why would we... I think that looks like a very good business adaptation to me. They're importers and distributors. They've got a good online model and they just changed the product mix for the demands at the time. But their customers really criticised them heavily. What do you think about that? Well, I, I don't think that's, um, that's right at all. There is a market demand for hand sanitizer, and it's only just this last week that I've been able to buy it at, yeah, a, uh, at a supermarket. You know, you see all these businesses and Parliament House have it and whatever, but the average Joe wasn't able to get it in a supermarket. I don't care whether it's, um, uh, whether it's imported or whatever. It just needs to be there in a time of pandemic. Mm. I do think that we need to be reviewing within Australia our our capacities to make things like um, we need to learn how to make hand sanitizer. I know a lot of the distilleries and breweries pivoted into making it as well. Yeah, um, okay. And we also there was a thought we also needed to learn how to manufacture ventilators um, because we were importing all of those. So there's a whole range of things that we need to learn how to make ourselves and. Um, those that we can't make, of course, we need to import and uh, and stockpile those critical bits and pieces. And I'd put hand sanitizer uh, and what do they call PPP, which is personal protection equipment and yeah. surgical gloves and so forth for hospitals. We, we really do need to be able to make that stuff locally. But are we just overreacting to the current drama? You know, when you think back to uh, September 11, or even even more recent than that. Remember the guy who got on a plane with a bomb in his shoe? Next thing <laughs> you know, ever since then, we've been taking our shoes off to go through security checks at airports in America. You know, are we knee-jerk reacting to this so that hand, sanita- hand sanitizer becomes, you know, part of everyday life? I walked into Coles yesterday and wasn't allowed to walk in unless I accepted a squirt of hand sanitizer from a man. <laughs> You, you, know, you know, are we overreacting to a, a pandemic that may not recur for another hundred years? Look, I, I'm not. I'm not concerned about that. I think there are some things that are good practices that we need to carry forward, and I think what a terrific idea that every person, forever into the future, who walks into a supermarket, 
squirts their hand with hand sanitizer so that when they're feeling the avocados um, or the oranges <laughs> or whatever, that, that, you know, well, at least those hands were clean before uh, I pick up that orange or avocado and, uh, and, and take it home. So there, is, there are some good things that have come out of this and this sort of heightened awareness of personal hygiene and sanitation uh, in public situations. Yes. Not such a bad idea that yeah. even if there isn't a pandemic, that we learn to, that, you know, there's public compliance to that sort of uh, arrangement going forward. Yeah, I've definitely lifted my hand washing game in the last two months. I know. I used to just wash my hands, you know, embarrassingly quick. But, uh, you know, you've se I've seen those social media things where yeah. you, you really do need to do it front and back and between exactly. fingers and with soap and hot water. And you do feel so much better uh, having done it. Yes. Uh, it's very pleasing, very cleansing. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Is there any, I know you're an optimist, but is there mm. anything about life before COVID-19 that you're glad to be rid of? What can we put behind us for good? Ah, well, um, I, I, the, the thing that I think we were, that, that we need to leave behind is the idea that we need to import anything that is cheaper than we can make it in Australia this idea of relying on a global supply chain. I call it supply chain sovereignty. Mm. We need to learn how to, we need to retain the ability to make things in Australia. And this experience has shown how dangerous uh, that situation has been, even if we have to pay a premium. Anyone who has the capacity to pay a premium for an Australian product, I think should be doing it so that we retain the, the, the skills. This idea of made in Australia, I know that, you know that that sort of saying has been around for a long time, but I'd love to see this, this made, Australia, made in Australia movement really carried forward into the future. And even, um, even if carbon miles can be taxed somehow, or if things are manufactured close by, if they are given some kind of... Um, some kind of benefit to pricing so that importing doesn't isn't so cheap there's they've got to be ways that we can maintain local manufacture and and reward the consumer that's a good idea i hadn't hadn't heard of that uh idea before but that that certainly does make sense yeah, that, uh, there has got to, there's got to be you know carbon emissions in getting it from guangzhou to sydney or melbourne um, that we can save on in getting it from Nowra or Ballarat yeah. to uh, Sydney or Melbourne. The other thing I would certainly like to see going forward, I mean, there's a couple of things going in our favour. You know, the bushfires are being quelled and, and the drought substantially, but not totally, has ended. So the farmers are getting a go. There's been heightened demand for our agribusiness. So there's a couple of bright spots, I think. And then there's this determination, this new energy, a new ambition to create a better culture, better Australia going forward. Put all that together and you think, no, we could actually come out of this with a better version of Australia. I know there's pain, a lot of, uh, a lot of pain for, for people and, and businesses and so forth, but uh, beyond that, uh, I think we can actually create a better version of our country. How do we how do we make sure that happens though? So I threw this out on the internet a couple of days ago, uh, this idea that that things could be better, and 
the almost every comment was yes that would be wonderful but the cynic in me says there's no way the powers that be won't return us to a massively importing country and and the the, the bosses are never going to let people work from home and all the things that we're enjoying right now are all going to be rolled right back because those in power are going to make sure of it so how do we hold on to these things well, you keep upbeat, you keep positive, and you keep pushing a positive um, theme. Yeah, it, it is very much like, and you will have experienced this with in speaking to an audience, as I have. Sometimes people are very flat uh, and don't give anything back. And an experienced speaker like yourself and myself knows, look, you just keep upbeat, keep going, keep being positive, keep being happy. And ultimately, ultimately, they get the idea and, and go along. So <laughs> the, first, the first reaction is, oh, that'll never work. And, and if you're dissuaded by comments like, that'll never work, then, then you're not really determined enough. Yeah, you need to push through that and yeah. say, and just keep at it, be polite, smile, keep going. And eventually, you'll turn the room, turn the audience and um and deliver on that uh, on that expectation where's the who's the toughest audience i i have a city <laughs> that i have found it's brisbane i'll just tell you brisbane? Right i have found no brisbane. no no, no. brisbane the audience in australia uh, brisbane brisbane are, are early birds if you do a breakfast at brisbane audience they'll be there at 5 30. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sydney are the latest. They're always <laughs> late because yeah, of the and they'll register for an event on the morning. The hardest, the hardest audience I have found, the most reserved. They're not hard. You know, they're nice people, but they're just, they're not used to, you know, being expressive as such or giving in a public sense. Um, and that is South Australian uh, audiences. Lovely people, but, um, you know, they're not, not they're not, uh, they'll show, they'll come up with you after and they'll they'll say something very nice one-on-one -on -one, but they're not uh, boisterous and that's just yeah. their personality and if you come from the eastern states you think oh they, they don't they're not they're not connecting with me but they do but they're just doing it in their way which is their right um, but you know that's what i love about speaking every audience is uh, is just a, just a little bit different yeah yeah I've, i gave the same speech in six or eight locations and i remember exactly the same speech fell so flat in Brisbane and I, I was dying. <laughs> and then afterwards, there was a queue of- They come up after you and say, that was fabulous, loved it. Yes. You tell me it was the best speech they'd ever heard. But while I was actually speaking, they had their arms crossed and a cross face on. <laughs> I thought I was dying. No, so, yeah. you, you do need self-confidence in this space. You, do. you just keep plowing on, don't you? Exactly. I just, and, and I rely on, there's a few stories where I think, any human will laugh at these stories and then they do. Exactly. Do you, um, Bernard, do you ever get sick of talking about avocados? <laughs> no, in fact, I, um, it is now part of my um, presentation shtick. I talk about how the, how the whole avocado thing came about and uh, what I've loved is some of the memes. Every yeah. day, well, not so much every day now, it's like nearly three years, four years, but uh, you know, certainly for the first two years, every day, people would tag me in photos. So if there was a couple having smashed avocado on toast in New York, they would take a photograph of it and then tag me in on it. And so I'd see these, these avocados all across the world. Um, but um, I remember yes, but once seeing a, a big roll of fabric in Spotlight. 
and I took a photo well, of it. Sent it to you. Oh, well, you should have you should have bought a few meters of it. I have had people send me avocado socks, I've avocado pillowcases. Um, <laughs> I've had a tray of avocados sent to me. Um, I've had uh, pictures of avocado floaties. You know, like a, a swimming pool, like a life buy. Like, that's funny. I saw an avocado soft toy the other day and thought of you. <laughs> Apparently, there is a there is a suburb of Los Angeles called Avocado, and uh, there is oh, um, and steal the sign exactly. And there is a street in Mildura called Avocado Street. So anything about avocado, it seems to find its way through to be. And obviously, when you thing. Google Bernard Salt, it always <laughs> comes up with a up. mixture of you <laughs> and avocados. There you are. Yes, it's good fun. <laughs> you are one of the most famous people I know. You are up there with Wendy Whiteley and Osha Gunsberg as famous people in my phone. So if you were to name drop someone famous, oh. you know, who would that be? Who's in your phone? Well, I, look, I, 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 of course I met a lot of people, you know, who, who are quite famous. And I suppose, you know, I've met um, prime ministers and so forth and premiers. And um, in the early days, that was really quite quite a thing to actually have met someone. Yeah, a bit of a uh, it might be at a function. You just say hello or shake the hand or something like that. But I don't really know people, and I I suspect that it's the same for you in this yeah. where you're flying around doing it. You meet a lot of people, but you don't actually know a lot of people because you're never really in one place long enough to yeah, actually so you know, develop those long term relationships. You need that. You need a quite a quite a unique personality that's that's happy to meet a lot of people but not necessarily uh, know a lot of people. There yeah, is a, there is a and enjoy your own company. I've learned over the last yeah. few years oh. that I really do enjoy my own company and I quite like an empty hotel room. And after I've spoken, it's like I've given all my energy out on that stage. Um, all I want to do is go back to a quiet hotel room and not speak. <laughs> that is exactly what I wanted to go back to a quiet <laughs> hotel room and uh, order a fruit platter, and uh, I take a photograph of it, and rate it, and put it up on my uh, on my website. And yes, I see, I see them on, on socials. Your fruit yeah, some of them have been terrible, outrageous value for money. Others have been very good. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's part of my shtick. Rating um, of fruit platters. You might not remember this conversation, but you had a profound impact on me a long time ago. <laughs> right. We yeah. were. It was when you, you and I were doing a, you and I met doing a um, road show around Australia for Combank. That's how so we met, I think. Shepherd and, and Wagga and... Yeah, we did all the big cities, yep. but then we also did some rural. And yep. we, you and I were doing this funny thing where we would order a schnitzel for dinner. <laughs> and then we would, we would compare the size of the schnitzel to the population. Of the town. <laughs> I had this theory. That yeah. The size of the schnitzel that you get at the local pub is um, is bigger in smaller communities. You get Correct. value for money. We work the that inverse out. Inverse relationship. I need to put that on a graph and put it up. <laughs> the, size of schnitzel yeah, the, the, on, <laughs> on the x-axis and size of the town on the y-axis. Yeah. So. Call it the schnitz ratio. <laughs> the schnitzel <laughs> curve. There you are. Anyway, when we were doing that funny buggers uh, on that um, on that road show, 
we had a chat about booze because I noticed you didn't drink. Yep. And one of the things I enjoyed to do was to have a glass of wine at the end of a day when we were on the road. And you just gave me this little pep talk and I've never forgotten it. And you said, I don't drink, I can't be on the road all the time, be at breakfasts and lunches and then a dinner that night and on the next plane and all yep. that kind of thing when I'm drinking. And it took me quite a few years to um, almost entirely give up booze. But I almost instantly, after you said that to me, never drank on the job again. So never had a glass of wine, even after I spoke. I certainly wouldn't drink before I spoke. But I wouldn't drink while I was socialising with clients. And your, your advice just landed so well with me. It was such... <laughs> Such good advice, but you came to that conclusion yourself really early on in your speaking career. Very much so. I um, was probably about 2002 when I started work on professionally on the speaking circuit. And within probably a month, I realised you can't be in one city at night and then in another city speaking and then you can't keep doing that in a sustainable way and drink. Not that I ever drank a lot. And so I, I stopped and thought, I'll just give this a break. I've heard of people doing that. I felt so much better. And then I realised, you you, if you want that lifestyle, you can't actually drink as well. You need to be clear-headed uh, in every one of these situations. And I've never regretted it. But equally, you know, I'm not preaching. If other people want to drink, that's fine. But that's, that's simply what worked for me. And I'm, I'm pleased that, uh, uh, that you found it um, helpful as well longevity in the speaking circuit is, is hard to achieve. Mm. But I think this is, this is an important part if you want to be there for, you know, 10 years plus or so. Yeah, for stamina. Exactly. Now, you were kind enough to give me a cover endorsement for my book, Get the Girls Out. Yes, I saw that. And a review. What a fabulous book. I know. You I... are so wonderful. <laughs> well, I loved it because it was so warm and so loosey. If you want to... <laughs> You know, this is like me sitting op opposite you in the Shepparton pub with a big schnitzel <laughs> plate. It's warm, it's funny, it's engaging, it's surprising uh, and um, really well written. Oh, thank um, you. I wrote it myself. Yeah, no, but I was, I was going to compliment your editor. But <laughs> no, you need good material to edit. But it's really nicely edited, a great message. And um, you, I, I read a book in a smorgasbord sort of way. I'll dive in here, then I'll go up there, oh, yeah. and I'll come back here. And every one of them, I think, oh, it was really, really engaging, every one of them. Every chapter, um, you mean? Yeah, that's uh, right. Thank you. Very I think good. you're mentioning... Is it still available, um, Lucy? And where would I buy a copy? <laughs> yes, it is available. <laughs> anyway, you can buy books. My book is available. Um, it's a bit hit and miss at Kmart. Sometimes they have it, sometimes they don't. Um, but I'm sure I sent you a copy. You did, yes. Good. No, I've got it. Excellent. Yes, I have a copy, yes. <laughs> that's right. I didn't have to buy it, but that's yeah. right. You mentioned uh, in the last chapter. Yes. Where I actually talk about, I talk about how, um, how speaking has been such a wonderful career step for me and how you taught me to own the stage those are your words own the stage, own the stage. <laughs> not a, it's not a space to be timid uh yeah. if you're going to be up there be up there and yeah. if you're going to say it say it don't don't you know hide behind a lectern or anything like that get out in the middle put your arms out and actually communicate with, with and it takes it takes a while 
to actually get to that level of self-confidence. It's very, you feel very exposed initially, but once you break through that, it's the only way to communicate and the very best speakers do it. They'll go, I talk about the best real estate. The best real estate is right slap bang in the middle where yeah. everyone can see you. Yeah, with and your toes almost hanging off the Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> exactly, that's right. So, uh, yes, we should do one of these on how to speak, Lucy. We could, yeah. We should. Mm. <laughs> Let's just wait for the live speaking industry to recover. Revive, that's right. Tell people how it's Exactly. Done. Yeah. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for um, giving me a slice of your day, Bernard. My pleasure and thank you and um, good luck with uh, with everything. And I look forward to our very next catch-up schnitzel next yes. time in Sydney. Yes, let's do that in a country town somewhere okay. with a small population. <laughs> Wonderful. Hey, Bernard. This podcast was handmade by Lucy Bloom. For more info about books and other things, including links to details about my podcast guests, please go to thelucybloom.com forward slash podcast.